We are ex-Overland, and over the past 10 years, my wife and I have established a business doing what we love. Throughout the last 10 years, we have built over 20 Overland vehicles that have taken us and our team around the world as we film our adventures. My name is Clay Croft, and I am the founder and CEO of ex-Overland. On this podcast, we take a deep dive beyond what the camera can capture to offer you as much insight into the world of Overland travel as possible. The X-Overland podcast is brought to you by Onyx Off-Road. To find the special places we're seeking at X-Overland, that next level trail, or that once-in-a-lifetime campsite, we often find ourselves far beyond the grid. With fully functional GPS capability, even when outside the range of cell phone coverage, Onyx allows us to get off the grid and confidently continue on our journey. Use the code XOverland to get 20% off your subscription today. Welcome, everybody, to episode six of the X Overland podcast. Today, we are talking about the X Overland trucks that were featured in our newest series, Alaska to Last Frontier. I have Clay with me today and Tanner Johnson, our shop manager. Both of these guys know everything about these trucks um, that we all want to know. So, Tanner, why don't you kick off the podcast by keeping us all on some kind of a schedule. The hourglass has because been Because we're talking about trucks now, guys, so this could just, <laughs> you know, the sun could be going yep. down and, and we're still going to be here talking about Gotta tire get home sizes. for dinner. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess to begin with, with these trucks, um, what was the, the overall, like, why these particular trucks for Alaska? Good question. It's... It's a loaded answer because uh, we, we, we get to work with Toyota, which is awesome. Uh, high, high privilege and honor to work with Toyota. Uh, that's a big deal for me and, and the whole team here that we get to participate in corporate America at the level of Toyota. It's pretty cool. Uh, they, we actually requested a Tacoma. Uh, we weren't quite ready for Tundra. Tundra wasn't quite ready in our build se- series. It hadn't quite been released yet. Um, so Tacoma, plus Tacoma is a perfect truck for zipping around Alaska. There is a lot of narrow stuff and grown-in willow uh, trails and things like that. The, the Tacoma is just ideal. I, I got to say, like, you know, comment on that just from doing our most recent Out and About series being driving a Tacoma for the first time, I'm used to a full size Tundra myself, full size trucks. Yeah, I can really see the advantage of the Tacoma on a tight trail. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of people we, as we interact with people online and stuff, say, "Oh, I would never buy a full size because of the tight trails." But I will say that of all the trails that we do, five percent or less are that tight where it matters. Yeah. You know, so. If you're on the fence of like, should I buy a full size or, uh, you know, mid size pickup like a Tacoma, but I want, I just want to make sure I fit down trails. Well, how often are you really going down those trails? Because a full size truck has a lot of advantages too. So I wouldn't make that your only decision point if you're out there thinking about it. Yeah, totally. There's just so much compromise and figuring out of what your needs are when it comes to a truck and. The full size for me gives me capabilities in the way of hauling and towing and even space in the cab. That yep. I would be very hesitant to sacrifice just for trail maneuverability. So, yeah, I see your point. Yeah, but but at, 
as it is, its strength of being smaller is amazing. Yeah. And I, I, me personally, like, you know, I have a Ram AEV 3500, and then there's a Tacoma sitting over here off screen. We're looking at them, and man, on any given day, you ask me to go drive one, it's going to be the Tacoma. It's just so easy to drive around and get get to places. And if, if you want to go rip across the desert and, and do a lot of camping at high speed, Tacoma. Okay, so ideally, you want both in your garage. I mean, come on, right? Like, let's just We get... <laughs> are fortunate at XO to have the ability to speak towards all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... So, but we can speak towards it because we have them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So back to Alaska then. Like, so how were the Tacomas um, in Alaska? Like, what what were the trails like? What were the roads like? How you know why why did you find the Tacomas especially useful for that landscape? Um, it came down to the size again. Honestly, like. I mean, Alaska is huge and it's a lot of open areas, but I mean, you look at Raven and Attigan, they all have pinstripes on them too. So even the smaller mid-sized Tacomas were, you know, there were tight trails that we were on that even those trails were pretty tight for those trucks. So there was a benefit of having them and the shorter wheelbase um, versus a full-size pickup definitely helped in a lot of areas. But yeah. Why the shorter wheelbase? Just uh, maneuverability if, again? Yeah, we had to turn around a lot. Yeah, there's. <laughs> yeah, anytime you are on a tight trail and you have to make a U-turn or something, I mean, there was some trails that we went down that were like, nope, not passing here, so we have to turn around. Even getting to the Knick Glacier, there were a lot of areas that we were navigating a labyrinth at night, and so we had to back up and move around, and it's like with a smaller truck, smaller form factor vehicle, it helped a lot. Ha, have, that's a great point. Having a full size on the Connect Trail oh. would have been <laughs> brutal. Yeah. That truck would not have come out the same. Yeah. Being just that much wider. You know, and, and we're finding more and more with side by sides coming in on, on the trails. Dare I say, invading our trails. <laughs> um, and the systems, they, they're not cutting them back any further. You know, so that the trails are in a lot of ways are getting even tighter because mm-hmm. of the popularity of side by sides. And, you know, before 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody was taking their trucks down the trails. So they were cutting and keeping them trimmed back for that size. Now it's all for the side by side. So even your smallest truck is still scraping a lot of times, which I guess makes a point for having a smaller truck even more because a full size would really get tore up now. But again, this is when it comes to like global travel perspective, a, a full size truck is nice. We loved our Tundra. We have a new Tundra that we're building now. And, but the, there's something great about that midsize, like Central America, zipping through those small towns, those little roads, narrow roads. Tacomas and the Forerunners, they just get down those roads, just no problem. Yeah, and how many times did you guys ever have a breakdown and you know need need a repair in the middle of Central America with your Toyotas? Like- uh, the only breakdown we had in Central America, if I recall right, was due to a supercharger aftermarket that we put on and relocated the power steering bracket to the wrong place so that it hit the the belt under torque. So technically, we never had a failure. OE failure, original equipment failure. The only failures we had were due to things that we did to it. 
Yeah. And that's where the build process gets so complicated, right? Yeah. So, I mean, props to Toyota for building such a reliable machine. Um, I know in some of those areas of the world, that's that's what I would be most comfortable in as a platform, small or large. Um, and the build process, like, you know, going around to building these trucks for Alaska, you're trying to build them out for some really specialized concerns in what we do with X Overland. So you have film production needs, you have a large crew, um, you're going to be moving fast, yet you still want to keep people comfortable. So what was, you know, back to that question of the the build strategy for going to Alaska, um, the truck and build strategy, right? What trucks, how did you envision building them? Why? Sure. Well, we just, Tanner and I went back and forth on 33s or 35s. That was one of the biggest decision points. Because once you go to 35-inch tires, you are saying yes to a bunch of stuff. You're saying yes to a lot of trimming. You're saying yes to a, a re-gear, forced re-gear, which means that you're probably saying yes to more lockers because you're now into it at that point. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes with it, and we kind of went around and around on it, and we were like, no, we should do it because we haven't done it. We want the experience. And Alaska is one of the greatest places to have a little bit more clearance. There's a ton of mud up there. Even though we didn't experience a lot, there is a lot up there. Like we kind of got lucky and there's a lot of river crossing. So clearance, clearance is a, a benefit in many, many ways in Alaska. And as you drive around up there, we've saw so many other trucks that are like, well, oh, they got big tires because of the environment, the muskeg, the the trails are always soft and so big tires are pretty advantageous up there and big tires like to speak technically here for a minute big tires add more clearance why uh, physically lifts the truck up you know that's really the only way unless you get portal axles yeah that's the only way to really gain true ground clearance um on it, especially on a rear axle. On the front axle, you can push down the independent front suspension down, but then you have, you know, you're losing down travel, etc. So just getting bigger tires on there picks the truck up. I see. Yeah, and for river crossings, you mentioned too, that's an advantage because of a rock that you yep. might be, but you don't see all the stuff that can hung up. Yeah, exactly. And the larger diameter of the tire allows it to roll over obstacles such as potholes on, you know, going up to Prudhoe Bay or in a river crossing. If you have big boulders, a smaller tire can get stuck into holes where a bigger tire can roll over it a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. And has better ride quality, too, because of that. That was surprising. I guess yeah. it's not surprising, but it was surprising. Yeah. We were just like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because for years, XO has touted. And I still do stand behind it that you can drive around the world on 33-inch tires. You can go do all the – we oh, did yeah. Alaska originally, Central America, South America, all on 33-inch tires. And I can say that all but like very few instances, maybe a handful between those three expeditions that we ever were like, I wish we had a better tire. But there's all these other points when we were like, it's good that we don't have a bigger tire. All right. Now, with that being said – this year we went with bigger tires. Uh, and what we did find was if we geared it correctly, we went to what was it? 529s? Yep. 529s. 529 nitro gears in the diffs and put a 35. It's the Grabber X3 35 by 1250. We wish we could get a narrower tire, but they don't make one. Um, unless you go down to the 295 something, it's a little narrower. Yeah. It's like a, th 
I don't remember. And we were going to go with those, but just with the state of the world right now. Yeah, they're just like not a, available. They're just not there. Yeah. Like most tire factories are having uh, just issues making all the different sizes. So we're running 35, 1250s again. And man, but that combo on the Tacoma with the Icon electric shocks, the e, the EV CDs, CD EVs. I got my turds wisted there. Um it uh, it drives like a stock truck. Like you go get in Adigan or you go get in Raven and you drive down the road and then you go drive a factory truck and you're like, man, these are close, which is what we yeah. wanted. Yeah, they're incredible to drive. Yeah, and so, you know, that's, uh, and you've got the chance to test them out thoroughly with the Alaska trip. So, you know, coming back from that, thinking about how the trucks did, were you happy? Oh, extremely. It's kind of weird to pat yourself on the back, it feels. But, yeah, well, thank you. Oh, thank you, Ken. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, they worked. They, we didn't have any, I'm thinking, making sure, but I can't think of anything any, that we had. Yeah, any failure any or issue we had was from our doing yeah. or something we bolted to the truck and that we weren't diligent about keeping up on or checking like we had the shock reservoir fall off of the rear shock on Adigan, and that's because the clamp that clamps that external reservoir to the frame some at some point came loose and fell off and it's like we could have caught that real easily if we would have been more in the moment checking that over mm -hmm. so that was just a lack of you know being aware of what's on that truck and what's happening to it in that case mm -hmm. we had to take some time not too far into the trip and make sure all the bolts on the P core were tight. Yeah. But that's because we assembled the P core probably somewhere between the hours of midnight and 2 AM to yeah, get it done on time. So we're just, you know, double checking our work. Forgot those lock washers yeah. on there. Yeah. The lock washers. Yeah. In most things, anything you add, even if you just put on a new set of wheels I and mean, you're checking those lug nuts after 200 miles or 50 miles, right. like yep. there it takes, there's like a break in period, break in period, right. Where you're yep. tightening things down. So for us, it's sometimes the break in is the trip itself. So we're jumping right in. And I, uh, I'm going to see, I think, I'll pull it up on my notes as we discuss it here, but I think these trucks left at least, Raven or Adigan left the shop to go on that trip with like less than a thousand miles on it. Yeah. And both of them have what, less than 8,000 miles on them now. Yes. And that's a, that's funny to think about because some folks will buy a slightly, slightly used vehicle that's still basically brand new with 8,000 miles on it. And these trucks have both been up to Prudhoe Bay and back. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> that was their test run. Yeah. And they, we finally did the first oil change when they got back from Prudhoe Bay in Alaska. No, that's so it was quite a shakedown trip for a brand new vehicle like that. Oh yeah, you could and, say. Uh, <laughs> it speaks to our whole like some of the stuff we blogged about and building philosophy and overlanding philosophy, which is get out and use your gear, test your builds. That's one of the great things about weekend warrior trips and that sort of thing is you can really do the testing of um, new build ideas, your truck, new pieces of gear. So. Oh, yeah. There is, there's a process to that kind of a there break is. in process to that until things are really tightened down, so to speak. So Adigan left the X hanger with 280 <laughs> miles on it. 
<laughs> bound for Alaska. Uh, we hadn't, we didn't even break the gears. Yeah, in. the gears. It was mostly gear. I think we had like 250 miles on the gears so far. And then we were like, we don't have time to put more miles on them. Yeah, because the gears went in them. like a week before we left with it. And we had to do all these other installs. So we didn't have time to break in the gears. So we just did what we could with it. Yeah. And then we, so we drove. Uh, do not do this. <laughs> yeah. This is not recommended. And we got lucky. Uh, but yeah, we got to Washington we had a little extra time and we dumped the diff fluid and changed it before we got on the ferry. <laughs> oh man. And it all looked good. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how close that build was to getting out of town on time. Oh, you know, and I, I think in a perfect world, there are a lot of us who would like to thoroughly break in and test out any of our outdoor products, adventure products before the thing. But most people, a lot of people anyhow, get stuck in that situation of, I have to go. This yeah. is what I go. have. I got to go. Yeah, well, and that's the best way to go. break it in is to go out and use it because then you actually figure out what works, what doesn't. Right. Kind of like uh, in the most recent Proven we just put together, you were talking about that. And so it mm -hmm. explains like, in your toolkit as you're refining your build, breaking in your build, you can be tightening things down and lock tightening yeah. here and there, whatever, what you have to, right? Yep. Yeah. So speaking of builds, I want to talk about the XO way. Because the build, like since I started working here even, I, I've received such a solid education on what builds look like. And this this idea that uh, a company like Toyota, say, which makes an excellent vehicle, obviously, but they can only do so much OEM and keep the, the building of that vehicle economically feasible. And so aftermarket companies are basically trying to enhance, ideally, Yep. something that's already well done. But if you don't go about engineering that in the right way, you can you could really mess things up. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I've heard Clay mention the XO way since I've been here, Tanner, the same. Like, what? Let, let's tell our audience, again, what is that? What are you guys referring to? It's kind to? of this... Uh philosophy it's a philosophy oh, and we're and gonna you, get deep again <laughs> oh, i thought we were gonna talk trucks today guys now we're already we're going into the depths uh let's see the exo way has a lot of the uh, has a lot to do this is good to define this because i don't know if yeah. we've ever actually like spoken we need to like write this down but uh it, it has to do with the professionality and the the thinking through of an install uh, like, look how perfect a Tacoma is, or it, it really any modern OEM truck that comes out or car. I mean, they're they're flawless yeah, they're in many many ways. To be flawless, warranty right? for the life, you know, a certain extension of of its life, etc. Through all environments, they'll back it. All right, well, let's take that same concept into our own builds. Is this up to snuff with like how those things are built. And we would have to go a long, long way to make our trucks that good. I mean, they have millions of dollars and yeah. testing teams and many, many engineers with PhDs yeah. and this and that. But we always strive for it and it needs to look, it needs to function really well. It needs to look aesthetically good. Um, it needs to be properly done. Like all of our wires are the proper gauge. They're heat shrunk correctly. They're, they're tidy. They're not run across in weird place. They're loomed and shrouded the 
proper way. Stuff that takes a lot of extra time. <sighs> Need to breathe. <laughs> well, this is. I'm glad. I'm glad oh we're starting to articulate this because you know, working here, Clay will just look at you describing something and say. Jimmy, it's the XO way. <laughs> and then walk away from you, and you're just going, It's well, the XO way. The, the, the XO way. Okay. Uh, what, what was that? And uh, it's been something that's been developed over the years. And it's, it's our own standard uh, of being expedition ready and how we look and view our trucks. So a lot of times it takes going the extra mile, staying a lot later, or doing, you know, powder coating something, waiting to get it powder coated versus just shooting it with some black paint. Um, you know, getting the right hardware. Sometimes we tear out hardware. We won't use the hardware that comes with certain installs. We will put our own hardware in there. So it's universally matching other parts of the truck. So there's one less bolt head size that we got to worry about. It's more universal. Um, yeah, what else? It sounds to me like it, like XOA has, Along with the nuts and bolts, it has everything to do with the strategy, the th- overall like master plan of the build, like the the thinking that goes into the it. The thinking, right? Yep. I mean, like to our credit, when you think of how rapidly we had to build the the Alaska trucks, and how you know few things went wrong with the build part of those trucks that mm-hmm. we installed, um, that that tells me that. You know, we are putting the kind of forethought into the builds that we need, and our XO way is working. Yeah, and then we're always refining it, but that that's uh, some solid evidence. Yeah, and it, that comes from I think I think our last number was like twenty one builds that we've done so far in the twelve years that we've been working. Um, but this is also our fourth and fifth Tacoma that we built, so we're pretty, and we drive them all the time, and we know Tacomas really well. The Forerunner we built, we built three Forerunners, fifth gens, um, so we had pretty good knowledge on that. But the clone that also went on the trip, we built that in seventeen, handed it back to Toyota. It's their truck, and then we got it back. So really, the Tacomas were what we were building. We only modified the Forerunner in yeah. gears and tires, kind of upfitted the Forerunner yeah. versus full build on it. It was pretty much done. Yeah. And even then, I can't think of what they are now, but you look at the Forerunner, and there's a couple things that we've done there, and we're like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We do this now. The looming's different. We run wires different. We fuse things a little bit better. We have different clamps on our batteries. You know, and a lot of it comes down to you know, hardware, better hardware. Some of it's now available. Like when we were building trucks back in 2010, 12, 13, a lot of the stuff that we put on trucks now just wasn't around. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that speaks to how we're we're always trying to stay up with new technologies, mm-hmm. um, and how that might influence our builds and keep improving them. Right. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned clone. Um, let's talk about clone a little bit. I, I Adigan and Raven are such attractive vehicles and standouts in the Alaska series. I feel they might steal the show a little bit from from clone. From what the clone did, man. Yeah, I mean, Tanner's look, your look man at the on clone, clone back there with the Patriot camper behind. Oh, no, I mean, it was li- it did a heavy so lift. Fun. It looks like a heavy lift. So yeah, yeah, Tanner. What about the clone? Because I I personally don't know as much about clone as I would love to know. Well, it is a 2015 fifth gen forerunner um the big 
the main reason we had it pull in the trailer is just because it had the larger engine in it with a little bit better gearing in the transmission. Larger just, engine, like like what? It's a 4-liter V6 versus the 3.6 liters that are in the Tacomas. They're very similar in power. Didn't know that. Okay. It's just like the transmission in the 5th gens prefer to have a little bit more grunt behind them and towing, so it just it was does a natural just, fit. It towing. tows better. It does, yeah. I... I have a fifth gen that I tow my camper with, and I mean, you definitely know it's back there, but it's surprisingly good for towing with. But yeah, we got it. Um, it left here with thirty five thousand eight hundred and thirty miles on it. Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a truck like we were talking about builds. It's had some time to get get broken it's, in, yeah, and the kinks yeah, worked used. out, and and we're gonna. It, it's been uh, press used. So this is was a press vehicle. I believe it came out of the press fleet. And that means they put all of the reporters and journalists in them. Right. And, and they are notorious for being extremely abusive yeah. to test vehicles or press vehicles. And when we got it, it the was, undercarriage oh my gosh, yeah. was destroyed. Like We've <laughs> been on big expeditions no and stuff, and our skid plates don't look like that. Yeah, it was uh, road hard. Stock skid plates? Scott's, yeah, stock skid plates. And I'm like, what did you do to cause that fuel tank to be dented? Man, this just, again, <laughs> to me, to speak to, like, that. Toyota reliability <laughs> and yeah. You know, yeah. just bulletproof engineering, those things. We went in there, put new skid plates on it, looked it over, and took it to Alaska, no faults. Wow. Just ran it. Wow. It was good. And and in Alaska, okay, so it's towing the Patriot trailer. X3 yeah, trailer. Yeah, the X3 trailer. Um, I want to say I saw a size sleeping in there. Yep. We have a and goose gear. We have a sleeping system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a goose gear sleep platform. It deletes the... 60% side of the rear seat. So there's a 60% and a 40% side. So we wanted to keep a seat back there to have the ability to carry three people. But we also wanted that sleeping area as well, since Adigan doesn't have a tent on it in the Alaska series. And it just allows for a nice spot to be able to lay out a sleep roll. You're in out of the weather. And you Lucky him. George. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He actually had a nice really great yeah, he actually had probably setup. the best one. Yep, and then you have the you have uh, full size drawers in the back. Um, I'm trying to remember the actual name of the Goose Gear drawer system. I think it's just the Goose Gear drawer system. Yeah. So it was our gear hauler. We had all of our sleeping rolls. Our I kept my sleep my pillow, my sleeping bag, my bag of clothes in it, um, and it was just our gear hauler. But then when we get to camp, we just push all that stuff out of the way. Cyrus rolls out his sleep pad. And then his sleeping bag, and he's got a nice spot inside. I don't know. Yeah. It also doubles, that sleep platform also doubles. We we did this originally with uh, Rufio, our first one of our the two forerunners that we took to Central America. We put a sleep platform in that one as well. That's where Toby slept. And that doubles as a medical bed, too. Like, if you have to transport somebody, that's the only truck or only space between those three vehicles with that size we have short beds it's that that's the only place you can put a full-size prone person that is such a so that's the kind of thing that is just 
I think for a lot of us to overlook, like we we're not thinking about that. And that's something I do appreciate about, I would say the XO way, as far as how we do expeditions too, yeah. and how we go overlanding, we are mindful of those things. We are thinking strategically. We're prepared for worst case scenarios if they happen. Um, there's a perfect example. And that speaks to something about the convoy and the fleet that we had in mind, which is like almost like an escape vehicle, like a vehicle that in camp is not anchored down. If you need to move quickly, you don't have to break down the tents. And didn't Adigan fill a role like that, that too, Adigan. if someone had the yeah. jet? and yeah, yeah, it was always pretty much ready to go, shut the doors and leave. There's there's no tent or camp life set up around it, other than no. when you were like doing offloads. Yeah, I mean, I was using it for the offloads just because it had the power systems and all of that, and the cameras are all right there. But yeah, I mean, if you needed to, you could shut the P-Core door and be out of there in two seconds. Yeah, I don't know, Tanner. I, it looks to me, from what I've seen, that the offloads are, are kind of your camping experience. <laughs> on, if you're a video, like you're there till two in the morning offloading with under the canopy. So well, well, what's what's funny is when we'd be pulling into camp, up. we'd have like the drone in the air, we're pulling into camp, we're filming, and I'm in there being like, Okay, guys, so the passenger side is the PCOR side that I'm working. So let's have that inside so I can be a part of the group and everything. Like, I'm even coordinating that because I know that's how I'm going to spend my evening is offloading the footage. And I don't want to be right. on the opposite side of everybody else and everything. You yeah. know? So that way I'm included. still a part of the conversation. And so it's even little things like that that I'm thinking about as we're pulling in and we're filming. I'm like, okay, let's let's have this side in or, you know, which way do you pull in and circle the wagons kind of thing. And so yeah, I love this. Like I've noticed this even on our out and abouts. Like we have this, this whole way of speaking, even like a, a, as we do this podcast, like something I'm working on is our lexicon at XO for all these different words and codes we use, etc. Um, and like circle the wagons. Like I've just, I've heard that a bunch of times. And I, I feel like the XO way is evolving here, Clay, because it also pertains to our overall team strategy of doing things. And you For think sure. of like multiple individuals saying we're going to get together and go overlanding. Um, there's value if people are going to do that, I'm thinking, in coming together and seeing themselves as a team as opposed to just the separate individuals in a way of everything from you know, how you arrange the convoy to what kind of gear you bring, having the emergency bed in one vehicle, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff as opposed to being in separate head spaces. Common uh, luggage. We yeah. all use the Red Ox bags. Everyone gets the same size. You can put whatever you want in it, but that's what you got. And by the way, I Clay handed me one of those for an out and about, and he's like, this is what each member got for all of South America. And I looked at that thing, and I was like, I don't even know if I could go to work <laughs> in that. So that is amazing to Carry me. Carry on size. <laughs> Plus, you get an alley box on, on the roofs. Uh, that's kind of like your foot locker. And then you've got your personal bag, and that which is carry on size. And then on the big trips, we also had one bag that you could have in the vehicle. And we even standardized that through Red Ox with one of their totes. And, um, it, it keeps everybody like, Hey, we're all equal here. We, we, this is what you get for space. No one can show up and have like three bags and four briefcases and stuff. Cause they just got to have everything. Uh, it's all standardized. And then it increases efficiency, takes, builds that team mentality even more takes out the individualism which is important on big stuff like that and so you're thinking about alaska 
Um, and one of the first things you're having to think about is who's coming and you know what do those profiles look like? Uh, and therefore, what kind of trucks are we going to need? What were your thoughts there? Like, like, let's look at the team. How many team members? Um, Seven, how did that influence yeah. your, right? You got the boys, the teenagers. and We first always start off with like convoy dynamics. So we know that there's this magic number that happens with three trucks, seven guys or, or people. Doesn't this matter. has come from a lot of experience. Yeah. This, this, this first started, okay, Alaska, Yukon, way back when we had two trucks, seven people. It was tight. You always had four people in one truck and three in the other. It added a lot of social stress. A lot of social stress. Um, and, and it was fine. We did it. You know, it's like, but it was something that we optimized later. Going to three trucks spreads the social distance out just enough that it's very comfortable. Uh, one truck will have three people, which is fun to have one truck when you get in the mix to have an extra guy. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a, as you go get in that one truck and there's a different social dynamic that happens in a three-man truck versus a two. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. So you kind of mix things up there, um, which is great. And then, uh, I mean, all the way, even when we did the Greenland expedition with E7, it was three trucks seven guys and there's just some magic number about i mean we get into that at some other point but so we build our decisions around that who are where are the seven seats how are we best serving those seven people that are serving roles inside the expedition with those seven seats and how do we set the trucks up so that it's efficient yeah by the time you're going to alaska you have that system in place for yeah the, for the expeditions now that was proven it was just a default this is what we do yeah yeah. And we knew that allows us to, to do one seat delete in one of the Tacomas. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to add that we kept all four seats in Adigan. We didn't do a seat delete in there because if we would have done that and one of the trucks would have gone down, we would only have six seats with seven guys. So it was crucial to have at least one truck with four seats. And then that way, if you do lose a truck, you still have enough vehicles to have everybody be able Stripped to in. get going and deal with whatever situation you're dealing with. So we kept all four seats in Adigan because it isn't a camp life vehicle without a tent or anything. So we wanted to make it a runaround truck as well. Yeah. Which also, and it's not a camp life vehicle in part because of the production needs of your team when you're in Alaska or anywhere on expedition. Yep. Um, And so Adigan, I've heard you guys speak of is just the the ultimate production vehicle. Why, Tanner? Like you do a lot of filmmaking. It's that P-Core, man. Yeah. (laughs) The P-Core is amazing. Or something like like a cabin of an airplane? It doesn't. It, I I guess Clay would be better with that one. It has an intake on the front, doesn't it? I believe so. I don't know if the P-Cores do. Oh, it might be on the fridge side so you don't see it. Okay, yep. The trailers do. They have a yeah. pressurization vent, so that as you're going down the road, it it builds plus one psi inside the internal, so dust doesn't come in. Yeah, people back east might be out. like, oh, "Why is that well, a thing?" If you lived in the west, you'd understand why <laughs> yeah. that would be really dust get on those silty thing. roads, and it'll find its way into everything. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's an awesome production vehicle, Tanner. Sorry to interrupt. No, why? you're good. 
Yeah, it has the storage, the drawer system. Um, it has room for our big drone. It has the Red Arc Manager 30 with a deep cycle lithium battery. So power was not an issue. We actually, this was the first time that we had a big solar panel on top of one. We weren't able to on our other Tundra that had a P-Core because it had the tent on it. So we put a 180 watt solar panel on top which helped a ton, even on a cloudy day in Alaska, because it's such a large wattage panel, mm -hmm. it's actually gonna still gather some usable watts. If you would have had a 80 or 100 watt panel on a cloudy day, you might get like two or three watts, where the, with 180 watt, we were still seeing 10, 15 watts coming in. So that was a huge factor to be able to just do all the offloads at night, have camera batteries charging in the next day, everything's ready to go. There's no low battery warnings or anything like that. It was it was one of the first times that we haven't really had to really think about it much. Yeah, it's like uh, a giant self-contained electrical charging system. Yep. Like we even, in that Proven episode, we're talking about electric uh, chainsaws, for example, yeah. and how efficient they are nowadays. And if you add something like Adigan, it'd be very easy to charge up one of those batteries. Yeah. Yeah, it's changing the way we do things. Uh, just listening to you guys talk made me think about how far we've come on all this stuff. So, oh, like yeah. back in twenty, oh, oh man, it's laughable. Back in twenty, you're not that old, Clay. Come way on. back when, in twenty thirteen. Uh, well, way back. I am when. getting kind of that old, but <laughs> I don't uh, see any gray. There, it was uh, our one hundred series Land Cruiser had a dual battery system in it, just a Group thirty one, and we were having to run an inverter in the back of it. Uh, it eventually caught fire. Um, and Yikes. then we, we had a trouble with something with the trailer. So we we're actually running it. If you look at some of the footage, you can actually see an electrical cable, like a extension cord running out of the back of the Land Cruiser into the trailer to charge it off of an inverter. <laughs> at night, we would run a Honda 1000 mm -hmm. generator to, to keep the trucks charged up during the night because we were pulling so much down for production equipment, which at that time was also less efficient, um, you know, 10 years ago, the oh batteries gosh, weren't as right, good as they are right, now. Right. So and we would have to, to, you have to carry fuel then for the we were, char the generator, yeah. the fuel powered, right. Gas generator. And we did that, I think all the way into central America. And by the time, I mean, I was really, I would, I could be lulled to sleep by the sound of a Honda 1000. <laughs> I have one. Just have purring out there, you know. Yeah. And then you always freaked out. If it died, you were like, uh oh, no. we got to get up and put it, because we needed our trucks to start the next yeah. day. Right. And then by South America, we were like, okay, we got to try to get away from the generator. And I don't know if we even brought it. We might, no, I think we left it home. We decided to take it home, but we just, yeah, bigger that's batteries a, that's in. a gutsy move at some yeah. point it's like the gas powered generator is staying home yeah, it's it stayed home and then eventually we've moved into lithium and solar and i mean we even now with a 200 amp hour so uh let's see the one in ad again is 180 amp hours 160 160 is and, and in one night with all everything going on in there we'll probably pull 40 percent of it down 40 to 50 percent sometimes yeah with that kind of tech that's how hungry we are for power. So if you're like, man, these guys are nerding out about power. I don't need that much. It's the production side. Yeah, yeah. it's people could see we're running computers. Yeah, yeah, and all. The and we're running a lot of camera batteries and a lot of heavy energy, you know, 
cameras and everything. So it's not just like you're charging up your GoPro that you're using around camp. Right. right, with, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. We have we a lot will charge of batteries. 16 Inspire 2. I don't even know what the watt hours are on those things either. per charge, but we'll charge probably 16 every single day and probably another eight to 10 through the night. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, what helped me understand what we do is just imagining a kind of micro version of a Hollywood film production on location in an extremely remote area with unpredictable circumstances, having to make that whole film production work. Yeah. Yeah. So the cameras, the batteries, the drones, I mean, everything there is just a tremendous amount to keep powered. So thus Adigan. And what I'm seeing that we're doing is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think I'm starting to see the big picture. We have very powerful lithium batteries with high storage capacities. And that's where we're starting. When we leave on expedition, those are topped off, ready to roll. And we have solar helping to keep them charged. And we have the truck itself and an alternator doing the same. Yep. Right? And we're charging everything bear with me here as i learn how sophisticated all these <laughs> yep. systems you're, are you're in red arc. okay yeah so there's maybe where we could get into the red arc thing which i would love to master at some point um but yeah okay so and we're plugging everything in that's what's keeping it charged yeah red arc systems manager 30s or red vision which still uses a manager 30 yep. brain then distributes that power through its appropriate algorithms to different types of batteries, AGM, glass mat, or lithium, or just light, not lipo, but uh, um, what's a normal battery? I uh, can't even remember it There's anymore. lead acid, there's gels, there there's lithiums, and there's AGMs. And we run the lithiums now mainly. The AGMs are in the trucks, but yeah. like on the PCOR, it's the solar panels going into the manager 30 brain and it's charging the lithium battery that's in there. And the big reason we went with a lithium battery over an AGM for one, the weight, it's insane how much lighter the lithiums are, which adds up a ton, but also you can drain that battery more than an AGM. So like when we're charging cameras throughout the night and there's no solar going in, we can go all the way down to 20% charge on that battery without hurting it. Where with an AGM, if you go below 50%, you're starting to damage that battery. And we consistently go below 50% on our lithium. Now with the red arc, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is awesome. I think I'm having a breakthrough in understanding of all this tech here, guys, yeah. in, our, in our truck. So with the red arc, let's say you had an AGM yeah. or a lithium. Will yeah. the red arc tell you, hey... You're getting close to 20%. Stop. Yes. Yeah, you or can program alarms on its own so you don't ruin mm-hmm. your battery. Yeah, we, all that. I have been woken up in the middle of the night from the Red Arc alarm going off saying that it's Too at much. 20% charge. And that was like in Baja in the X3 Meridian when we're running the fridge in hot weather and we have all the lights on and what have you. And there was a few times in the middle of the night I woke up to it beeping at me. And then the, that morning I threw out a solar panel on the hood, one of our red arc folding panels and then it was topping it itself off until we took off driving so an added value of red arc is that it could help you save these super expensive lithium batteries yeah yeah we are definitely talking about high performance battery systems yeah like Uh, the best it, it is the best they're hands down i know of nothing else that's better um 
Yes, we're sponsored by them, but there's a reason we approach them and and we work together because that's what we need. Um, there's other systems that we use from Red Arc as well. I mean, this doesn't need to be like a Red Arc discussion, but it's mostly, you know, BCDC 1240s, you know, dual battery management systems. We run a couple of those in some of our trucks. Mostly now we have a primary start battery and then we have a house battery that's in the back of the trucks. Uh, we're updating the trucks right now. Um, same way our Tundra is being built with dual self-heating lithium batteries in the Alucab back. Ooh, managed by self-heating because that's the weakness of a lithium battery. That's what I've heard, especially being a Montana that gets yeah, out Yeah, it's tough. We have to keep our trucks in the shop. We have to watch it. Yeah, and, yeah. it's a thing. It's a thing. And we don't we don't put uh, a, or a lithium battery inside the Patriot camper trailers because we park them outside all the time. Mm-hmm. I would love to put a lithium in there, but I'm, I'm afraid that we would just wreck it yeah. with how cold it is. Yeah. So we, we got to watch it. Like, oh, man, it's going to get cold tonight. We've got to put our trucks away. You know, it can't be left out parked tonight. Just just clarify that real quick for listeners, like the, the cold weather issue with lithium. So, you know, people have some, some guidelines for that yeah. because there's this push like lithium, lithium, go lithium. But as a Montanan who likes to get out in the winter with my overlanding setup, um, I found out about the cold weather issue. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute yeah. before I pulled the trigger on one of those. It's uh, it's mostly in the charging. Anything below 32 degrees, the chemistry of the lithium does not like to take a charge and it can damage it. You can still pull from them a little bit, but it's not ideal. So anything below 32 degrees, you can still use it, but you don't want to charge it. And so any good battery management will have a low uh, low temperature cutoff. Okay. So like the red arcs, okay. they'll completely cut off any power go into that battery. If it gets below 32 and it'll yell at you and it tell tells you, us, Hey, it's temperature, low temperature warning. What does it lets say? You know. Something like 30, uh, low temperature threshold. Yeah. Something below threshold. Yeah. It, it lets you know. <laughs> no, probably with me, it'd be like, it's 20 below. You're nuts. Go yeah. home. <laughs> so we're using the Battleborn self-heated batteries now yep and and they <laughs> i think that's a kid knocking um one of the boys so yeah uh this is a big discussion we could probably we talk could do a for whole podcast hours on, about on, this. Yeah. on this because there's there's more to it uh but uh you can kind of see why what all the stuff that goes into thinking about our trucks in that way. Yeah. And so let's, let's move that into, um, you know, just thinking about our listeners and maybe they want to put together a truck. They're thinking of going to Alaska. Part of the purpose of what we're talking about is to show our, our viewers and our listeners what our special needs are in our trucks and, you know, why they're so heavily built and developed. But if you're um, trying to help out our fans who are thinking of overlanding to Alaska, Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Like, um, you know, what, how, what, what key components would you suggest that they build into their trucks to give them a better experience there? Hmm. Good question. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind for me is have a really good awning. You want as much coverage as you can get when you're outside because the weather is going to get you. 
no it's right. going to get it's going to get you yeah. So you want a good awning, you know, you want a good tent that has good rain protection. Um, and if you're up there with mosquitoes, you want to have some sort of mosquito protection as well, I would yeah. say. We got really lucky on the mosquitoes oh, on yeah, this we run. Got so lucky. Uh, the first time we went up there, we got just, you know, pillaged. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, good, uh, good mosquito Fuel is no longer really a consideration. A lot of people worry about it. If you have 10 gallons of Jerry's, that's plenty. You'll be able to do everything. I think we did the entire trip. Of course, we have long-range automotive fuel tanks in ours, but it's plus 10 gallons. Yeah. And we never even touched our fuel Jerry's the entire time. Yeah, there was never a situation where it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be tight. Yeah. It was fine. So having 10 extra gallons, you know, our Tacomas run around with 30 usable gallons plus 10 on the back. Mm -hmm. Fine. Is great. Yeah. Um, the things that in the past that uh, not necessarily specific to Alaska, it, but in general, it's the it's weak tires. You know, bad tires. No matter what, go on new good tires. Um, Alaska in particular does have a lot of bad stuff on a lot of haul roads, a lot of yeah. semis, a lot of stuff falling off. Mm-hmm. Pick up a lot of things. Um, yeah, the paved roads were worse than the dirt roads. Yeah, to so, Bay. yeah that's You'd true. You'd think that the paved was better. No way. Yeah, you want you want yeah, the dirt. The dirt was way better. Um, that's ironic. And, yeah, that's useful for people. And then I think the electrical systems, still back to the electrical, that's yeah. the stuff that kind of shuts you down. That's why we don't mess around anymore. It used to shut us down all the time. because it shuts you down. Like, like, let's say not, you're not making a film. You're, in, you're like a... Uh, recreational overlay. Yeah, uh, what is shutting down? Look you got like? a dead battery. Your stuff's not charging. Your fridge is run dead. You're not able to get it up to. Maybe you're not moving fast enough or enough during the day to fully charge your batteries by the time you get into camp, and so your battery only came up ten percent while you made that half hour push, mm-hmm. and now you're there for another day, and now you got problems. You know, so really think through your electrical. That it just kind of cramps your style when your batteries quit working yeah have another way to charge your battery when you are at camp because you you will very likely want to hang out for a few days in one spot mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense to let your truck sit there idling yeah to charge the battery or yeah run a generator and so yeah so investing in a good great. solar option even if it's just a portable system that you put out and you put battery clamps on your battery yeah. That's a simple, easy thing to yep. carry. And the portables can be nice, too, because you can move them to get the best yeah. best exposure to the light and that sort of thing. So, The yep. portables are great, and they've uh, come a long way. Yeah. We use portables. Yeah, we ourselves. use them. Yeah, the fixed ones are nice because they're passive, but the portables are great when you set up camp, especially in Alaska later in the year, early in the year. The sun's at a very low angle. And so you can angle the panel and follow the sun throughout the day. Right, right. So, yeah, that that's what I find is that that supplemental power you can get by the portable piece yeah. is really useful. So you're going to Alaska. You're going to go overlanding in Alaska. You're you're saying tires are critical. Get re- the best tires you can afford. Yep. Um, this could get dangerous to even <laughs> ask this question, but I'm going to. Sure. Mud terrain or all terrain. Uh, you're good in either one. Okay. Think long-term, whatever tire you want the longest. If you're going to be in the far back country and you're going to be spinning and doing a lot of hard stuff, uh, I would go mud terrain in Alaska. 
Yeah, and you guys took the boat to get up there, which I thought was really cool and looked like a lot of fun. So yeah. you're, you're getting rid of a ton of highway miles by doing that. Yeah. And then when you're in Alaska, that tire, you know, if you wanted to put on a special set of tires for that experience, you're ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah, by going the ferry route using the Alcan, let's see, what do they call it? The Alaska Maritime Highway, I bet we pulled off over 5,000 miles of drive miles off those trucks. Yeah. Just doing it. it came in at expense. It wasn't cheap. But yeah, 5,000 driving miles to do that trip came off. Yeah, and when you think of like when you think of overlanding and ways of moving around, right? To put your vehicle on a boat and go to different places if there's an area that that is just going to be a long push and you're really more focused about getting to that particular country or place. The, that experience or, or that idea, right, the concept of putting your truck on a ferry of some kind, getting there, and yeah. then really enjoying this, the place. There's something yep. to be said for that. Yeah, and there's a cost-effectiveness to it as well. It's not totally, truly cost-effective. It just depends on how you look at it. Yeah. But, I mean, think of the risk. Mm. We talked about it. Yeah. We're like, well, we could truck them or we could drive them. Yeah. The wear and tear and the chance of something going wrong before we even get up there. Mm-hmm. And then we're not able to do our job up there. I mean, that it can compound yeah. immensely. So the mud terrain, if, if you're going to be getting out and getting into the back stuff in Alaska, the mud terrain is useful. Yeah. 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 And I find, you know, it, mud terrain is like, it's one of those things that much of the time you don't need it. But right. then you do. But yep. then you do. And when you do, you, do. you really do. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, they're trade offs. Um Yeah. And and if you want mud trains, go buy mud trains. If that's what you want, it's your hard earned money, go get it. Yeah. You know, sure. But if you're like really a logistically thinking through things, then sure weigh the balances between an all train and a mud train. Uh you could drive we did let's see, we did Alaska originally and all of our Central America stuff on all train tires. It was fine. Yeah. It's great. So let's talk, uh, speaking of tires, like for Alaska, you guys had an awesome look-like suspension system there from Icon. Yep. Uh, what were the roads like? What were your suspension needs like? If someone's heading up there, what would you suggest or advise that way? Suspension is one of those things that you can spend a lot of money on, and that's okay. Uh uh, okay, because suspension is that important. It's that important. It's it's foundational. You know, like everything else takes its impact and its wear and tear pretty much by how well the tires and the suspension interact. The rest of the frame takes the beating or benefits from that suspension system being built well. Good point. It's a lot of like the red tire. arc protects the battery. The suspension protects everything on board the truck from yeah. getting, including the passengers, I might add. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, like, yeah, yeah. My tailbone, <laughs> and my yeah, my Ted, my my head. How how well you feel at the end of a big long day mm-hmm. uh, when your suspension's tuned correctly, you feel better. It comes down to a lot of what's called you know head wobble. Like yeah. Land Cruisers are built from the ground up to eliminate head wobble from hmm. side side For to real? side. Like that's For real, like that's real. That's one of the design that. specs. So the more you have to counteract your head and use muscles uh, over the course of a day. When you get out of that truck, at the end of the day, you're going to feel really tired. You can feel beat up, and that's why. Yeah. Because you were counteracting your head all day. 
So if they can reduce the frequencies so that your head doesn't have to move and it's relaxed and in a relaxed state, you get out feeling fresh. Yeah, we're well, thriving now. One of our exo values, right? To thrive, not survive. Yeah. Exactly. So get good suspension. Um, old man emu is great if you're going up there. Old man emu stuff. Icon makes really great uh, entry level suspension, but it's still high performance. You know, for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we run really, really sophisticated, cool suspension with that CDEV stuff, and by far the best we've yeah. ever run. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It was incredible to be able to be driving along, hit washboards, pull out your phone, open the app turn down the stiffness in the valving on the fly and you don't even have to slow down or stop. You never miss out. a beat and yeah, you can it, tune it. You're like, Oh, a little more, a little less. Oh, yeah. there it is. Wow. And then yeah. it's also, and then the algorithm takes over, right? Yeah. Like it's once it's kind of adjusted to that particular road surface, then it starts doing its thing. Yeah. It'll adjust for it's G amazing. load side to side, front and back. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. If you, if it goes airborne, <laughs> it senses it. And by the time the tire hits the ground, it's at full stiffness. It's all adjusted on the fly. Like, uh, it's the future. Yeah. It's the future. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like cool. a lot of tech like that. So what did we learn from Alaska that we're applying to um, future to trips? New, yeah, for future, future trips, builds, future trips. builds. Like, That's I mean, even question. maybe that you applied to the Tundra. Uh, I'm convinced that the holistic... W- uh, let me back up and say we have the ability and the privilege to build whole trucks from stock to hero from zero to hero builds. Um, that's not everybody. I understand that, but XO, we build the best trucks we possibly can. We try to take the formula one approach. Like this just needs to be the very best in every way possible. We don't look at cost. Um, that's just not what we do here. We try to just build the very best truck we can, um, and, and learn from those, things. So uh, we're going to continue to do that. It's paying off. I think we're learning and seeing it's down to a lot of little stuff now. Not necessarily any massive improvement. Yeah. The the seat the electric shocks was pretty huge. That was a big improvement. Yeah, yeah. that's an enviable. Yeah, it's amazing. Like where has this been? You know, this is awesome. And I remember talking to Dylan at Icon like two years ago. He was like, "Check this out." And he's sitting in the computer in in a Tacoma with a laptop, and he had one of the brains, and he was plugging it in. He's like, "This is top secret. We're working on this." And it, two years later, here it is. And yeah. man, yeah, I'm, I'm it's re- awesome. I'm thinking if I had a rotary dial phone, you know, from the '60s compared to this, it might be With somewhat cell phone. of an yeah. analogy, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Nothing wrong with uh, you know, just monotube shocks that are built well. Hey, great. You know, it depends on how you're going to use it too. You know, if you're not going to go up there to get off the beaten path and go rock crawling or explore trails, if you're just going to drive around. Yeah, you don't need anything crazy like that. Yeah, and no, what I'm hearing too is for, let's say, you know, just a recreational overlander, just check your shocks before you go on something like this. Maybe they need replacing, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. your tires. Like Definitely the, check. Those them. things wear out. If you've had your truck for 50,000, 60,000 miles and you've been running a lot of washboard roads, you probably yeah. want to replace your shocks. Yeah, that's that's a build ethic. That's the XO way here too. Yeah. Back to that. Like, if we see some. Of the, some things that like in the next iteration or the next mission, it has the potential to fail. We will replace it. We won't wait for it to fail. We treat them like airplanes. You know, you don't want that 
torpedo switch or whatever to fail up there. We're like, oh, I can get some more miles out of it, and then it quits you. Yeah, we, so we, you anticipate. We anticipate and fix. Yeah. And so for our Alaska trucks here, as we wrap up the episode, um, it's very exciting to think about what the future holds for them and the vision you have for those trucks. Uh, with the Tundra, we still have Adigan Raven, and I guess that would be for our fans, just thinking about um, the future for those vehicles in the fleet. Are you going to change things around to keep Adigan as a production vehicle? Yep, that, that for sure. Raven... Tanner and I are going to be working hard on Raven. It's getting, it's going to be staying back. It'll be in the U.S. Um, through the next year. That's our U.S. spec truck. But it's getting the Alucab uh, canopy camper on it and a new whole new interior goose gear system. We wanted to go back to the true live-in system. It's getting a Wabasto heater. Um, then our Tundra is getting the first, one of the first Alucab canopies for that new Tundra. Yeah. Same thing. Goose Gear, Wobosto Heater, live-in systems because it's going global for a long time. Uh, a lot of people I know are going to ask us, why did you go, you've gone from AT, go fast, now you're at Alucab. You know, all I can say is there's business dealings happening there and all of those canopies, all of them that we have used are good. It's not that one is better than the other necessarily. I do think that the Alucab is a sweet spot, but the Goose Gear or sorry, the uh, the go fast, awesome. It is a great system. If that's what you're looking at, no problem. The AT habitat, love it. It's good, you know. So it's not it's not really it starts that. to get to that critical thinking component too. It of is. Overlanding we've talked about is so many of these products are, are amazing and do do yep. things really well. And a lot of it does come down to determining your needs and wants precisely. Yep. And what is the best fit for that? Exactly. And the missions ahead. And then for us, you know, and so the Alucab is a great partner. And what else on the truck build front? Hmm. As far as things that we're changing or doing yeah. differently? For me, it's it's always a refining process. Like when I started here back in 2019, the wiring and the installs were completely different the way they looked back then to now. We're always refining, looking at how to make something cleaner, better, you know, better wired, better built, better labels. Yeah. Better labels. I mean, we started taking black label maker and doing little tiny label on the wire and then clear heat shrink. And then now when you go to the battery, every wire connected to that battery has a perfect label that'll last a while or last as long as it needs to, to be able to tell you which accessory that goes to. So just the little things like that and just trying out, I mean, we're trying different fittings and different ideas on how to attach something and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but you know we're always wanting to try it and see where it takes us yeah i think that that tanner that you're speaking right down to the fittings yep right i mean like when we talk about little things it might be a bolt it might be a washer it might be something like that 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 while small makes a huge difference when it doesn't rattle loose yep yep um things of that nature so yeah. Well, it's exciting to me to see where I like everything else, X Overland. Uh, things continue to progress. Our builds, our expeditions, uh, everything is a process of growth and refinement. And of course, for all of us as human beings, which is at the core of, of all of this and what yep. we do with overlanding. So exciting to see um, 
you know, where the build process is, how they will evolve as technology improves, the trucks change, the equipment continues to, uh, our manufacturers continue to offer more equipment, better equipment. It's going to be exciting to see that, right. pro- see that evolution. That's a lot of the fun in it. It's it just is. just trying out new things, be it on the leading edge or cutting edge of all of it. Yep. Cause yeah. Because it'd be boring if not. Yeah, that's part of what it's all about, right? It's the fun yeah. of the build. Yep. Constant improvement. Yep. On that, let's wrap up the episode, guys. It looks like we've moved past the... We killed the hourglass. We killed the hourglass thoroughly today. So thank you all very much for joining us on this episode. We'll see you back here next time. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support. And until next time, stay adventurous. Thank you.